Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the Watt. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey, Tom, I'm curious. As someone that comes into this, obviously, with the most experience out of anyone, um, your team doesn't have a lot of guys on it that have played in the Super Bowl. When that game kicks off, does that really matter? Once the game plan is installed and, and, and the whistle blows, does it truly matter about what Super Bowl experience you have? No. Uh, experience doesn't matter. Playing well matters. The team that wins is not going to be the most experienced team. It's going to be the team that plays the best. So we got to prepare the best. We got to execute the best. Um, we got to perform the best under pressure. And if we do that, we'll be champions. And if we don't, we won't be. Do you remember what age you were when you first became conscious of Tom Brady? Or what, what your first memories of him would have been? How far back that goes? It's probably September 17th, 1995 when I was born. He's been around for a while. Well, something from the two quarterbacks who will meet in nine days. It's only nine days away. Super Bowl 55. It's PFT Live. Hello to our audience on Peacock, Sirius XM 211, NBCSN for the re-air. Sky Sports NFL, 7 o'clock primetime, UK and Ireland. Good evening to you all from the past, I suppose, and anyone who's listening on the podcast. Hello to you all from the past. From the present, it's Peter King, who in the near future will be going to Tampa for the Super Bowl. One of the few, one of the brave, heading to the big game. Peter, as he gets closer, I'm starting to regret that I decided not to go, but... uh, what, what are you looking forward to when you get down there? Mike, the few, the proud, the double masked. <laughs> that's how what? Uh, that's sort of how I'm looking at this trip. Uh, no, I mean, you know, Mike, uh, I think the biggest thing about this game that is so interesting, this, this sort of bookends my lifetime Super Bowl experiences because you could argue that the two best quarterback matchups in Super Bowl history are Montana Marino in the 1984 season. That was my first one. And Brady Mahomes in the 2020 season, which is this year's in Super Bowl 55. And, you know, I've heard a bunch of people say about, well, you know, I wrote a couple of weeks ago that this is going to be Brady's 14th championship game. And I said, you know, that's a record we'll never see broken. And I got all these, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Mahomes, Mahomes, Mahomes. And I said, okay, that's fine. But I hearken back to 1985, January of 85 in Palo Alto, California, where the entire sports world said after Montana beat Marino, that's okay, Dan, you'll be back on this stage many times in your career. And he never got back a single time. So, and I am not saying that Patrick Mahomes won't get to many or any more championship games. I don't mean that. But 14. 14. <laughs> so, I, 
I just think we ought to appreciate the moment of this game and, and appreciate really Brady Mahomes 5 because there's a very good chance this will be the last one. And that's a great point. Now, it's undermined by the comparison to the Joe Montana and Dan Marino Super Bowl because that was one of the ones that I remember being more hyped than any other. Hey, we're finally having this great quarterback matchup. And who's, who's on the cover of Time game? Magazine? And it should be a shootout. Yeah. And then it ended up being a blowout. So I right. hope that I hope that the companion to Super Bowl 19 ends up being a far more compelling game than than the game that was played. And at the time, it was one of the you know, it was the Rams and the Rose Bowl, which was as close as you could get to being a home game. And it was the 49ers at Stanford Stadium, which was as close as you could get to being a home game. This is the first true home game in the Super Bowl. Let's hope that it's better than Super Bowl 19. And one piece of evidence to suggest that it will, Tom Brady's never been involved in a Super Bowl blowout. He's been in nine. They've all been close except the Rams game two years ago. I mean, and that was only 10 points. The first, it's, yeah, I mean, yeah, that was only time talking about one score games. Yeah, it's like early on for Brady, every game was a field goal game. Why do you think Adam Vinatieri's going into the Hall of Fame on roller skates? <laughs> you know, it's like he's winning all these games early on, and he really didn't. But, you know, he did win the first one. Uh, and and that's the way the Patriots, you know, played many games in those days. You know, they weren't blowing people out. Even when they lost to the Giants, it was, you know, by the hair on their chins, you know. And so I, I think we're going to see a really good game, Mike. I think Tampa's pass rush is going to be sure. And by the way, by the way, you know, I talked to Todd Bowles this week and I think he understands. I was talking to him about the uh, the incredible stats of Patrick Mahomes when blitzed this year. Okay. And, and when they played the first time, you know, Tampa just blitzed in single digits in that game. So I don't think you're going to see them coming after Mahomes with five and six rushers hardly at all. Because and especially because the tackles on Kansas City are now going to be second tier players. So we'll see how that goes. But somehow I can't see a blowout on either side. You never know. But I think this is going to be a good game well into the fourth quarter. I agree with you. And I think both quarterbacks are going to have their hands full with the pass rush because the Chiefs can bring it up the middle. And that's where it disrupts Tom Brady. We've seen that in past Super Bowls, specifically against the Giants. And for the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, JPP, Shaq Barrett, and Dominican Sue. I, I, I keep thinking of the advice that Robert Sala, the new Jets coach, gave to the Buccaneers defensive lineman when he was on with us the other day. Don't be fooled by the little old man jog between plays where Patrick Mahomes yeah, acts that's like funny. That was hurting. Good. Yeah, that was good. He's, he, he, he kicks it in when he needs to, as Sala saw last year with the the 49ers trying to track him down. We'll talk more about that later. For now, a quarterback who would very much love to be the focal point of the two weeks between Conference Championship Sunday and the Super Bowl, Deshaun Watson. He has requested a trade. Now, my understanding is the official magic words were uttered Monday, Tuesday of last week. The Texans have known for a while that this isn't working and he would like to go somewhere else. He was reluctant to flat out say, trade me because that represents a bridge that is crossed that he doesn't want to walk back across. Uh, Peter, just a strange situation and it keeps getting stranger for the Texans. And on top of everything else, they hired a coach that I would say, let me just throw a dart and say 87% of ardent football fans would say, who the hell is David Culley? Mike, you know, I've covered the NFL for all of David Culley's 27 years in it. And I know who he is, and I believe I met him a couple of times early on and talked to him. He's a, <laughs> he's a I, I know, and I don't mean that to, to slight him or, or to, to say that I'm not doing my job. I don't mean that at all. I just mean that he's an assistant coach in the NFL. I have never one time until I think it was Monday or Tuesday of this week ever in my life heard of David Culley being considered for a head coaching job. 
I, I, I just never, I never heard anybody say, and, and especially in these, you know, kind of racially aware times and culturally aware times, you know, obviously David Cully is, is African-American and you, you basically want to, he, he, you would want if you were, if you were looking at the list of prominent guys in the black community who were good candidates for the NFL. And I'm not saying he wasn't on any list. I, I, I don't, I haven't really followed all the lists, but he certainly wasn't in the, uh, you know, uh, Eric B. Enemy, Todd Bowles, Jim Caldwell, Leslie Frazier vein. And, I, and, and again, I am not saying here that the Houston Texans made a bad hire. I'm saying here that the Houston Texans made a shocking hire. And we'll see how the hire turns out. Yeah, I mean, there have been shocking hires in the past that have worked out, but the reality is David Culley wasn't on anyone else's list at all, never been a coordinator, a career position coach, had a couple of years with the Buffalo Bills as quarterbacks coach, 2017, the year they got back to the playoffs for the first time in a generation, 2018, the first year with Josh Allen before reverting to the receiver coach role and assistant head coach, a role that he had with Andy Reid in Kansas City and with John Harbaugh, Currently, well, for now, for not much longer in Baltimore. And 18 years with Andy Reid, I think, has significance. I, I think that, that the fact that Andy Reid trusted him for that long and he's been and had been with Reid for that long, you're just going to pick up plenty of football information by osmosis being around Andy Reid for 18 years, Peter. I mean, no doubt about it. And I have no idea if that's if that was a major factor, if the interview was a major factor. You know, these are things that we look forward to hearing from uh, Cal McNair and Nick Casario about what the major factors were in this, as I say, shocking hire. I think the one other thing to consider right here is that, you know, they have to know, have to know that this is going to be or has the potential to be the rockiest year in the history of this franchise. If they do trade uh, Deshaun Watson, uh, there are going to be, I believe, you know, hey, if I were Houston Texans season ticket holder, not only if they trade Deshaun Watson, would I burn my tickets, but I would show up at the first game of the season with a picket sign and say, do not go in here and support this lousy organization that trades 25-year-old franchise quarterbacks, and they trade them because they can't get along with them. I mean, it, this, this whole story is, you know, beyond the pale to me. It's absolutely unacceptable that three months or four months after you've paid a guy a market contract for quarterbacks, uh, four months after that, uh, it, you know, he says, I never want to step foot in this building again. I mean, it... it there's something really wrong here. So my point is, David Culley is going to have to bear the brunt of that. And the thing you hear about him is what a gentleman, what a great guy he is, what a patient guy he is, all that stuff. He's going to have to deal with a, uh, you know, he's going to have to deal with a storm in and around his building and in and around his team if they trade Deshaun Watson. And then on the other hand, Mike, Maybe, just maybe, I doubt it, but maybe he and Nick Casario can sit in a room and, and, and try to convince, at least try to convince Deshaun Watson, it doesn't seem that this will be likely, try to convince him that, uh, you know, we'd love you to stay and here's why you should. So we'll see what yeah. the future holds. I don't think Deshaun Watson is going to participate in that conversation. That's the problem because this isn't a guy who's impulsive. This isn't a guy who's temperamental. This isn't a guy who's just flying off the handle and will change his mind right. at some point in the future based upon who they sign in free agency or who they draft. This is a guy who took his time to get to the point where he said, please trade me. And once he crosses that point, that's it. He's done. And so the Texans have multiple options at their disposal. And this next move by them will be the most fascinating. And it's very simple. They can say yes, they can say no and mean it, 
or they can say no and not mean it as a way to generate maximum trade leverage, the old Rick Spielman, we have no intent to trade Percy Harvin routine, and just sit back and wait for offers to come from teams that Watson would be willing to play for, whether it's the Jets, the Dolphins, or someone else. And and see, look, at some point, someone's going to offer so much that it's going to be very hard to say no. Because if you say no, then you still have to deal with the mess with Deshaun Watson. Whether that means him staying away from the team and not showing up, or whether it means him showing up and behaving like Jalen Ramsey did in 2019 with the Jaguars, where it was this constant dark cloud over the team of, I want out, I want out, I want out. I don't think Watson's going to do that. I don't think he's wired to do that. I think in his mind, he's done and he's out, and let's be adults here. I'm not going to show up and act like anything but a mature, responsible adult. Now, from Ramsey's perspective, he decided he wanted out while he was already in. And so you can't hold out at that point. It gets complicated, but just trust me, you can't hold out at that point. For Watson, he's making the decision before he ever sets foot back in the organization. And it's easier for him to just say, I'm out, I'm done. I'm not going to show up and act like my hamstring hurts and not practice or say that I've got a headache or a concussion and not play in a game. I'm just not showing up. And if you're going to come after me for money, then let, then let's do You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. But I feel like that's what Watson's position is going to be. If they refuse to take whatever offers, Peter, they will inevitably get. They can say we don't want to trade him, and they're still going to get offers from teams to trade him. The most interesting thing is going to – the most interesting time with this, I believe, um, is going to be almost exactly three months from now, Mike. The draft – basically is three months from last night. You know, it's the last Thursday in April. And so we are going to see, obviously, a bunch of activity between now and then. But the I would say that there's basically like a three-month deadline. Um, you know, the deadline is three months down the road. And, and I think there will be a lot of activity. But I also think if you're the Texans, the last thing I would do right now if you're the Texans is to say, all right, we've reached this impasse. Uh, let's trade him right away. Both for uh, reasons you wouldn't get your best offer that way and to see if, just to see if, the waters can be calmed. It looks as though they can't be calmed. But, you know, if you are talking about trading, potentially the best player, he and J.J. Watt, the best two players in the history of this franchise... Uh, I think you better be deliberate uh, and exercise all due caution. And Peter, this creates an interesting angle to it because I agree with you. The Texans, from their perspective, should wait right up until the draft because then when you do it, you get back draft picks you can use right now to help make your team better. But the problem is by waiting three months, there may be some suitors for Deshaun Watson who have moved on to other quarterback options because of this potentially robust free agent and trade market, once you get your quarterback situation figured out, you're out of the Deshaun Watson discussion. It actually helps a team like the Jets that would presumably only be trading draft assets for it to wait until late April. The Dolphins, for example, like, what do you do with Tua? Well, it's easier to figure out what you're going to do with Tua if you get Deshaun Watson on March 17. If you get Deshaun Watson the night before the draft starts, then you got to figure out what the hell are we doing with Tua? So assuming that you but don't Mike, trade him right Mike, back Tua to the Mike, Tua was a part of the de- Tua would be a part of any deal with Miami, wouldn't he? What, why would they the don't want him? What if they don't want him? But so I'm saying, why, what well, if the then Texans they're not going to make a trade Tua? with Miami. I don't. Then well, they wouldn't make a trade with Miami. It's the same thing with the Jets. You know, uh, why not? If you make a trade with the Jets, you take the second pick in the draft and you take Sam Darnold. And you take other other picks. And if you do that, if you do that, then you get Darnold and maybe you get either Justin Fields or wh- whoever, whoever it is. But in my opinion, there are teams that you would get their quarterback back in addition to draft capital. And so I don't think there's any trade with Miami unless part of the trade is... Uh, is, uh, you know, is Tua Tagovailoa. Well, Peter, I also think there's a possibility of a three-team trade. We may have talked about this before. 
the idea that maybe there's another team out there that wants Tua. So whatever they give up to get Tua flows through the Dolphins and then over to the Texans because it may be the Texans just maybe they want to start over with a, a rookie. Or maybe they have someone else in mind that they want to bring to town. Maybe they'd love to have Derek Carr, of all guys, because he's David's brother and they want to get back to their, their franchise roots. But it, it could be that you don't want that guy that the team that wants Watson is willing to send you, so you find some way to make it happen. And and uh, I, I think it's going to get potentially convoluted and potentially complicated if it's something the Texans want to do, which also means that you do need to take some time to plan it out the right way if you are Nick Casario. But yeah, Nick Casario, I don't know that he bargained for this when he took the job, although he knew or should have known that Deshaun Watson wasn't happy. And for David Culley, I mean, he's 65. He's never been mentioned as a potential NFL head coach. It's no matter how dysfunctional it is, it's still an NFL head coaching job, and that window is otherwise not going to open for David Culley. He's got to jump through it and be happy about it, and any problem that he has is a good problem because he's facing the problems inherent to being an NFL head coach, which means he is an NFL head coach. What you said about Nick Casario there is absolutely right. Nick Casario, I believe, you know, if I'm sure, and I'm sure he has done this or will do this, He's got to make a list in order of the X number of quarterbacks, let's say eight quarterbacks in the NFL who are available, okay, and or who might be available. You know, and we're talking about Sam Darnold, Tua Tagovailoa, Jared Goff, Matthew Stafford, you know, and you make this list and you go all the way down to, let's say, Jacoby Brissett or, or whatever, and you have to make a decision. Uh, I mean, there's Mitchell Trubisky. And, I mean, who knows? Somebody's going to sign Mitchell Trubisky and give him a chance. I'd be shocked if he goes back to the Bears. But, but and, and I really think that what you're going to see here is a very Belichickian approach, a very clinical approach to this by Nick Casario and by the Texans, in which they would say, okay, we've got the Titanic on our hands. We've got this sinking ship and somehow, somehow, we've got to keep bailing, put the lifeboats out and figure out how we're going to go forward in 2021 without our franchise quarterback. And so you make your list and you see, you, you call the Lions and if you love Matthew Stafford and you say, hey, um, what, what can we do potentially, you know, revolving around Matthew Stafford? And it could be a three-way deal, Mike, you're absolutely right. You could be trading... Watson somewhere else and then using part of the draft capital to go get, uh, you know, to go get Matthew Stafford. That's why this is going to be a mayhem-like story, especially for the next, say, six to seven weeks before the start of free agency. Coupled with the fact, Mike, coupled with the fact that I'm told that it's very likely the NFL is going to have similar rules in free agency this year where visits are either severely restricted or totally cut off, you know, because the pandemic is still here. So, you know, you're going to be committing to a quarterback after talking to him on Zoom, you know? And it's, you know, so there's a lot of things that teams have gotten used to. And I think recruiting your quarterback for the next 10 years may, might be one of them this year. You know, I had a moment when you were talking about Casario and how he will engage in a Belichickian-type analysis that I thought of the story of Thomas Dimitrov 10 years ago calling Belichick regarding his advice on a potential trade-up to get Julio Jones, and Belichick Julio said, Jones, do yeah. it. Yeah, and I, I, I could imagine Casario making a call to Belichick about a potential plot for a Deshaun Watson trade. And if you've seen the gif of where Belichick takes the phone and slams it against the, that's bad. Yeah. If Casario yeah. calls now with that request, Belichick is going to hang up and or throw the phone into the bench area at the sideline. Um, one thing that I, I want to point out to folks, because I've noticed on social media and people have just kind of suggested that it's a given that Deshaun Watson's camp leaked 
that he's asked for a trade in the immediate aftermath of this David Culley news to rain on the parade and just kind of throw a wrench into what should be a good day and a positive day for the Texans. Here's what happened. What happened is word gets out that David Culley is getting the job. So then reporters start circling back to Watson's camp to say, hey, does this make a difference? They were together at the Pro Bowl. Aaron Wilson of the Houston Chronicle reported they made a good connection, Cully and, and Deshaun Watson, last year when the Ravens coaching staff was there. Does this matter? And through that due diligence, that's where it became known that Watson had already requested a trade, so it doesn't matter. So I don't think this was diabolical or sinister or in any way malevolent by Deshaun Watson's camp to give the Texans a rough time. The Texans should have known through the application of foresight, as you flick that David Culley domino, you're eventually going to dredge up the news that you know that no one else had known that Deshaun Watson had officially said, trade me. 41 years in this business, Mike, and I've gotten used to people on the outside jumping to conclusions after I've reported something or something. Oh, it came from here. And, and maybe sometimes it did. But, you know, people on the outside who jump to conclusions uh, don't know for sure where it came from. And in my opinion, if they want to speculate and have fun on Twitter, that's fine. But reporting it as fact is, is another thing. And most often I have found that what is reported in those cases is crapola. <laughs> but these were people on the inside on Twitter, not on the inside per se, but in the business who were just assuming that this was Deshaun Watson and his representatives deciding to, uh, you know what they say about a, the word a more assume, graphic Mike. phrase, just rain on the, on the parade. Oh, I know what they say about it. I know, I know very yeah. well. I have been there and done that many times. Okay. Uh, back, back to Cully though. Cause I, I think he deserves his moment because this is a culmination of a long career in the NFL. And Peter, I, when Sims and I were trying to digest all this yesterday, you know, it occurred to me that maybe he's never been a candidate to be a head coach because he's not one of these guys that is constantly working all the angles and using his agent to plant his name and calling up guys like us saying, hey, have you ever thought about David Culley as a potential head coaching candidate? Look at what he's accomplished over the course of his career. Look at how he gets along with players. I think that Cully may just be one of these guys who's who's kept his head low and his mouth shut, and he just does his job. And in an industry where there are plenty of people who are constantly looking to find a way to position themselves and promote themselves to be head coaches, you're at a disadvantage if you don't behave that way. Mike, you know, I'll make this point about that theory, okay? And And most of the time, like, for instance, let's take Arthur Smith. Okay, like, I I think Arthur Smith is one heck of a candidate, uh, say, in the last 12 months, because I watched the Tennessee Titans play football. I watched the quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, who had a guru in Miami, uh, you know, in Adam Gase for a while, but the guru never, I mean, obviously Tannehill was hurt a lot, but he never had him play half as well as as he's played in Tennessee. So then you say, hmm. That's one in Arthur Smith's column. Here's the other one in Arthur Smith's column. Watch some of his play calls and watch how, you know, he he basically pounds you, pounds you, pounds you with Derrick Henry. And then all of a sudden you get to the one yard line. Everybody converges on Derrick Henry. And, and Ryan Tannehill takes a shotgun snap and just prances into the end zone untouched. The, he's an intelligent guy who does smart things in games and smart things with his players and with players who are, you know, the Khalif Raymonds of the world who went to Holy Cross or wherever, and he makes players out of them. And I'm not saying he makes players, but I mean, he coaches them up, he puts them in position. And all I'm saying, Mike, is that I really think, yes, can agents get coaches in front of teams? Yes. Can agents get coaches jobs? <sighs> Technically, I guess so. If you say, well, he got him in front of a team. Look, I don't even know who Brandon Staley's uh, uh, agent is. I, I, I don't know. But Brandon Staley got the job with the Chargers because in two interviews, they raced 
to, to get him signed so he wouldn't go take an interview with the Eagles. And, and look, I can tell you, the Rams absolutely unequivocally, you know, they were trying to hide Brandon Staley this year. But his team performed so great. You know, he takes over for Wade Phillips, a coaching legend. He's got the number one defense in football. Jalen Ramsey is like worshiping at his altar. This 37-year-old coordinator, now 38. All I'm saying is, in my opinion, most guys don't, they might be able to get help by their agents. They're not getting jobs because of their agents. Well, and Cully wasn't in a position to showcase himself at all, which makes the move, to use the word that you utilized earlier in the segment, shocking that he ends up becoming the head coach of the team. And there is a theory rocketing around out there that Cully is going to have the job for a few years and then Josh McCown will elevate to the head coaching job. Now, the fact that Pep Hamilton's going to be the quarterback's coach and not McCown throws a wrench into that theory – but there is a belief that McCown is going to some way, somehow be part of this coaching staff when the dust settles, unless the brouhaha from last week when he got a head coaching interview has caused the organization to say, let's just wait a little while on bringing Josh McCown into the fold officially. Maybe we'll sign him again next year to actually be a player. So, Peter, the, the dust settles or at least begins to settle on this year's quarterback carousel. Um, two minority hires. Robert Sala and David Culley, Eric Bieniemy shut out again, and you and I have talked about in the past, and I don't know what more there is to say. Eric Bieniemy should be an NFL head coach. And I'm still working on this theory that the billionaires don't like to be told what to do by anyone. So the more that people like us and fans and others in the media are saying, hire Eric Bieniemy, maybe some of them are just saying, no, we'll do what we want. Don't you tell us what to do. That's the only thing I can think of at this point. I think, let's talk about Houston for a minute. You know, Nick Casario has been in this role with Bill Belichick for, I think, 12 years. Uh, or, or some, you know, at least a decade. Uh, you know, he took over the, the sort of, uh, y- you know, the, the chief assistant to Belichick in personnel after Scott Pioli went to Kansas City. And so he's been there a long time and he has been thinking for a long time Okay, who am I going to hire as a coach? Who's my shortlist as a coach? And again, I have no idea how he ended up with David Culley. But he's thinking about that. And I can tell you that Nick Casario, I'm sure, is mindful of what is going on in the outside world. But he is not going to let Troy Vincent or anybody tell him who to hire for a head coach. And I'm not saying that Troy Vincent called him and said, hire this guy. I don't Because I don't think he did. But all I'm saying is he's not going to be told who to hire for a head coach. This is his shot. And for whatever reason, which I hope we'll find out soon, he picked uh, David Culley and we'll see why. But that is one of the fallacies in this, in my opinion. Cal McNair is saying, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, come to me when you get the guy who you want, you know, and we'll talk about it. But Cal McNair is not out there uh, you know, mining or, you know, going out looking for all of the candidates. That's why he's got Nick Casario there. Well, and the one name that we have yet to mention 31 minutes into the program, Jack Easterby, I think that the Cully hire is all part of his broad master 10, 15, 20 year plan to basically be the surrogate owner of the Texans without the owner realizing that he's usurped control because there are people who believe Cully is just a short-term bridge to the guy that Easterby would have hired right now if he could in Josh McCown. So we'll see how that plays out. Okay, we've talked about, and by the way, we mentioned Deshaun Watson. We're going to do something coming up later in the program. Our draft is going to be quarterback moves we'd like to see. So the coaching carousel stops. The quarterback carousel is going to start to spin And we can take one name off, which is good because if you put Ben on one of those horses, he'd probably break it. Ben Roethlisberger staying put in Pittsburgh. We'll talk about the news coming out of the Steelers as it relates to Ben when PFT Live continues right after. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait but marines will always be there they are the constant in the chaos no matter the battlefield marines adapt to win 
defeating every shifting threat. Protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. You know, Coach uh, and Kevin have both been candid with Ben in terms of, uh, you know, letting him know that the current contract structure is not going to work, and so we're we're going to have to figure out if we can work together to, you know, to craft something that uh, that we all can live with. That's Art Rooney, the second owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers, addressing the elephant in the room. $41.25 million cap number for the final year of Ben Roethlisberger's contract. Ben Roethlisberger, in response to what Rooney said, made it clear that he'll do everything he can. Made that clear to them from the very beginning. It was my idea to basically help the team however I can this year. I don't care about my pay at all this year. I'm pretty sure I want to go one more year because I think I can do it and give us a real chance of winning. So, Peter, it's a simple, simple formula. You take what he's due to make this year. You reduce his salary down to the minimum, which is a hair over a million dollars for his level of experience. You turn the rest into a guaranteed payment, and you figure out how many years you want to spread it over. The more you spread it, the lower the cap number comes because those cap dollars go into future years. You're going to have to pay the piper at some point, but you don't have to carry $41.25 million in the year where the cap is going to drop. And it still may stay low for a couple of years after this, but at least you're spreading it out and you're not taking the hit now. And that's money that the Steelers can use on other players that they desperately need. So this tells me they've found a way to work together for one more year. But then the question becomes, does one more year become two? Is 2021 the farewell tour for Ben Roethlisberger? Mike, I mean, what the Steelers, I assume, have done is they have said, you know, we think we're closer to the 11-0 Steelers that started the season. We think we're closer to that team than the 1-5 team that ended the season. I'm not so sure. And especially <laughs> when you've got the Browns being better and Joe Burrow, you would think, would be playing for 16 games next year. Nothing's guaranteed. But... The Bengals are not going to be pushovers for much longer. They're not going to be great, but they they split with the Steelers this year. I bet they split with the Steelers next year. But, but anyway, the whole point I'm making is that the Steelers, I think, are taking a gamble. And the gamble is that the guy who looked old and slow down the stretch of this season and couldn't move very, very much down the stretch is... You know, everybody says, well, Brady's a statue. Brady can get out of trouble, okay? Ben Roethlisberger is like a classic, old-time pocket quarterback, and don't ask me to do anything else. And that's an exaggeration, obviously, but that is how he looked at the end of the season. It's why if I was Tomlin and I was Rooney, I wouldn't just say, hey, let's make a deal. I would also say, listen, come back 15 pounds lighter next year. I, I mean, that's what I would say to him. He just looks like he's too heavy for that for that position. And I'm sure he and, and the pro Roethlisberger people would say, hey, this is how he's been forever. This how, But, you know, you've got to look at where you are in life right now. And where you are in life is at the end. And you've got to do stuff to preserve greatness or, or, or to reinstitute greatness. And to me, 
I think he's got to look at his physical self in this offseason and come back better and in better shape in, uh, in July and August. Yeah, and he hasn't said that publicly as part of what he said yesterday, but that's a key aspect of it because otherwise you're just kicking the can. And I agree with you. I don't think the Steelers automatically show up next year and have the same kind of, of performance that they had. And even when they were winning games, other than blowing out the Browns and the Bengals at home, it's not like you can point to a bunch of signature impressive wins over great teams. You know, they caught the Ravens once when they didn't have anybody. And that's when the Steelers were kind of fizzling out at the end of their unbeaten string. They got the Ravens. 19 to 14. Grossly. Yeah, (laughs) grossly. But the game where they won in Baltimore, the Ravens grossly outplayed them. The Steelers just were able to bend Lady Luck in their direction. So this is a team. You got James Conner, who's going to become a free agent. Not that he's the next Franco Harris for them by any means, but they got to address the tailback position. You've got Juju Smith-Schuster, who's going to be a free agent. What are you going to do about that? you got Marquise Pouncey reportedly looking at retiring. What are you going to do about that? I, I just feel like there's an element of after a relationship that's lasted this long, no one wants to be the one who says, let's end it. Ben doesn't want to walk right. away, and the Steelers don't want to push him. So, all right, let's just let's kick the can one more year. And when you got a coach who never has to worry about being fired because, you know, the Steelers – claim to fame is we've had three coaches since 1969 it's not like Mike Tomlin saying can I get a new quarterback please because this guy's going to get me fired if we come out and we go six and ten this year so the the problem they have Peter they better have a plan beyond 2021 or they're going to get left in the dust in that division with Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield and Joe Burrow they better have a quarterback they went 20 years between Bradshaw and Roethlisberger and the defense helped them stay relevant they better have a quarterback because in this NFL, if you don't, you are going to be a team that's 6-10 and 10 at best every year. I think you got to look at the tape of the Mason Rudolph game, you know, when he played, uh, you know, the game he played against Cleveland. And he played well in that game. And you have to decide if that is enough to prevent you from being in the first-round quarterback business this year. If I were the Steelers, unquestionably, I would take a quarter, if they have a quarterback rated high enough, I'd take them with my pick in the first round. Now, the first round is going to be crazy uh, because of all the quarterback movement in this offseason. You know, who knows? Could Jared Goff be available on draft day for a two or something? You You just have no idea. So there's a lot of things that are going to be changing this offseason. But if I'm the Steelers, I do not exit draft weekend with the quarterback depth chart being one Roethlisberger, two, um, you know, Mason Rudolph, three, Dwayne Haskins. I just, I wouldn't do that. I don't know what they'll do, but we'll see. You mentioned Jared Goff. I don't know that anyone in their right mind is going to trade for the Jared Goff contract as it's currently structured. $43 million is fully guaranteed to him with limited offsets for the next two years and reportedly and not shockingly the Rams are going to have an open competition at quarterback I mean everything that Sean McVay the coach of the team and Les Snead the GM of the team have said since the Rams were eliminated two weekends ago suggests that they are done with Jared Goff and they would wash their hands of him if they could but they can't so you bring in others to compete with Goff and you may have the highest paid backup quarterback in the history of sports if he ends up losing the job to John Wolford or Duck Hodges or Blake Bortles or someone else. Look, I think the biggest thing with the Rams right now is they have to figure out if there's any way they can make golf palatable uh, to another team. I think that is their that's their biggest job this offseason. I, I just don't think it's smart after you have hung him out to dry very early in the offseason to have him come to training camp and say, never mind. Uh, it's, just, <laughs> it's not realistic. I have, I have no idea why, uh, especially Les Snead this week said what he said. I mean, to me, it cuts out all your leverage. And it, it just, it made, it made no sense to me. So, you know, to me, I, I, I think that they've dug themselves a hole 
and the smartest thing for them, although you're right, Mike, it may be impossible, the smartest thing for them is to try to get rid of this contract uh, somehow, some way, maybe by eating a bunch of it. But if I were them, that's what I'd do. They dug the hole two years ago when they signed the contract. Now the, the dirt is falling back into the hole and they're trying to scramble out of it. That's the problem. And Peter Sims and I were trying to get to the bottom of this and why this is happening. You know, my idea was maybe Goff just just got lazy and complacent. He's not working very hard and they're just done with him. They're exasperated with him. And that's why they're calling him out and not defending him. And Sims perspective on it is and he could be more accurate than I am, that you get to a point where you potentially lose the locker room when you constantly defend the guy who's clearly the weak link of your team, like the Jaguars did for all those years with Blake Bortles. You get to a point where you have no credibility in the locker room because everybody else knows this guy's the problem. Why does coach continue to kiss his butt and act like he's a great quarterback when he isn't? And maybe it's a combination of factors. But we've never seen this from Sean McVay. We've never seen this from Les Snead. And at least they're kind of acknowledging the mistake they made. But the problem is they have no path out of it. There's no easy path. And like you said, they may have to eat some of that $43 million like the Dolphins did to clear Ryan Tannehill off the roster. And it's, isn't it ridiculous to think that they actually had to pay part of his salary two years ago to unload him onto the Titans? But that may be what the Rams have, have to do. You know, the other, the other issue here, Mike, I, I think is that, and I really agree with Chris, and I think that's probably one of the issues. And look, I, I, I do not mean to jump on the Chicago Bears, okay? But I do think that part of, you know, when Matt Nagy, whenever looks back at this period in his life, just my feeling, my feeling is that he's going to wish that, he was stronger with Ryan Pace and with team management and said at the end of 2019, you know, this, we need to be merciful in all ways. I mean, it's obvious that the team doesn't believe in Trubisky. And, you know, it's obvious that, uh, that he's, he's shaky. So let's go full bore. Instead of scotch taping this thing with Nick Foles, Let's go full bore and go get another quarterback and start working with them right now. And to me, that is what I sense what the Rams want to do. Rather than bring back Jared Goff and watch him play the way he's played for the last two years, which is mostly kind of shaky, okay? Rather than watch that, let's make a clean break and let's start over and let's train a young quarterback to be just what Washington did with Kirk Cousins. You, you know, just what the Packers did, quite honestly, with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Cousins didn't end up playing as much for Washington, obviously, but train a guy, get him ready, and have him do what you want the quarterback to do. And I agree with that. And look, one of the biggest mistakes that NFL teams can make, or really in any area of business, is to not admit your mistakes and double down and triple down and quadruple down. So at least the Rams acknowledge that, that this thing needs to end. It's just not going to be the easiest thing to end it. Real quickly, because we're kind of up against it, the report that a third of the league has reached out to the Lions to talk about Matthew Stafford. They're in a lot of detail there about what's been offered. And in the NFL, I was talking to somebody yesterday. It's like, well, people make phone calls all the time about players who aren't on the market. They just, they, they like to talk. The general managers like to talk. They're always calling just to see who's available, just to see what it may take. I'm still surprised only a third of the league is called when it's obvious the Lions are trying to move him. The question is, when it's time to put offers on the table, Peter, what will teams do knowing that the Lions are motivated to sell? The question is, will there be enough suitors to drive up a market when it's obvious that the Lions have created no leverage that comes from saying we're going to keep him? I think this falls somewhere around Patriots at 15 to Detroit for Stafford, you know, trading the 15th pick in the draft for Stafford or Indianapolis trading 21 plus, say, a three for Stafford. That's what makes the most sense to me. You know, a team somewhere in the 12 to 22 range giving their pick, uh, and then depending on where it is, 
Maybe you gotta give a little sweetener to it, but doing it that way so that the Lions could then say, hey, we got a mid number one for a guy who's gonna be 33 years old and who's played 12 years in the league. That is great compensation, especially for a guy who never won a division, never won a playoff game, and it was the first pick in the draft in 2009. So if I were the Lions, that's about what I would be expecting in return. Well, we're going to find out very soon what the rest of the league truly thinks about Matthew Stafford because they're either going to line up or they're not in order to put offers on the table to try to get him away from the Lions and be the team that that provides the, the starting point for the second act of his career. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, Washington football team head coach Ron Rivera got some excellent news on Thursday. We'll talk about that when we return. We'll be right back. Excellent news for Washington football team head coach Ron Rivera. His daughter disclosed yesterday that Coach Rivera, cancer-free. He had his treatments during the season. Remember, we've shown the video of him ringing the bell and uh, the checkup, all good, cancer-free. So excellent news. It was an inspiration to see him continue to fight his way through it, Peter, all season long. And, uh, uh, you know, all the best to him, obviously. And it's a good story and uh, uh, great news and, uh, you know, a guy who who really deserves at least to be in the conversation for Coach of the Year considering what he did with that adversity, not just in his own health situation, but everything that was dysfunctional about that team. They somehow won the division. You know, I think the great thing that Rivera did is he showed his team, and again, we talk about courage too much and in, in throw that word around, but... You know, there were days where Ron Rivera had to be helped into the Washington practice facility. And, uh, you know, he, he needed to take naps. And, I mean, this is a guy undergoing significant cancer treatment. So my hat's off to him. Uh, I think he was a great example of, hey, listen, nobody cares about your problem. Just shut up and do the job. And that's what he did all year. And I, I just, you know, my hat's off to him. So happy he's healthy. He's really one of the good people in professional football. And I'm glad that he embraced it publicly and let everyone know what he was going through. And I've talked to him about this because when my mom was dealing with cancer, when you have someone who's in a high-profile setting who's fighting it, it does wonders to inspire others to continue the fight because it is a difficult, challenging, exhausting, and draining fight. And when you have someone else you can look to who's setting that example, it makes it a little bit easier. Not that there's anything easy about it. We're going to take a break. A full hour of PFT Live still to come. We'll be right back. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. 